Would you bow your hearts in prayer with me? Father, you have indeed given us everything. You've given us life and breath. You've given us this day that we can come and sing. You've given us this group of people that we can worship you with, that we can walk with as we all seek to glorify you and please you as we confess our need for forgiveness. And Lord, this morning as we get ready to look at this issue of wickedness versus righteousness, I just, we, we need your mercy. I, I know I do. And Lord, I pray that you would, uh, through your spirit, you would expose the things of our heart that we need to have exposed. And you would point us to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a Haitian proverb that when literally translated is, and I quote, just be prepared to be amazed. Even the pee of the mosquito augments the river. Isn't that great? That is just wonderful. And it's not, I, I love that proverb, and it's not just the junior hire that perpetually lives inside of me that loves that. There's a great truth there. Every action you take has a consequence. Every action, even the smallest actions, how you chose to tie your shoes this morning, or if you chose to wear shoes that don't require being tied, all of those have consequences. And then it obviously goes to big things. Who you marry, the job you have, and how you conduct yourself at that job. And then back to small things, which route you chose to drive or walk to get here today. Where you choose to shop, what you will have for lunch, which donut you piped into your arteries. <laughs> All of it has consequences. And these consequences, sometimes we think of these consequences like dominoes, where you knock one over and it knocks the other one, and it really goes in a pretty straight line. But I, I want to put forward to you today that the consequences of our actions no, large and small, are less like dominoes and more like shockwaves. Or, you know, maybe you've heard it described as a ripple, where it just keeps going out and out and out. But for the sake of today, I want us to think of it as a shockwave, where you see those, like, old, like, military videos of the experiments you weren't supposed to see of the bombs, and it's a long ways off, and you see the shockwave coming, and then when it gets there, there's this giant wind. And... There are shockwaves of consequence that reverberate out from our actions that, that, that create that, uh, that, that cause all those things to go out. That's the augmentation of that river. 
The robber we are looking at today as we are working our way through Proverbs is the wicked. And it's a far cry from what we looked at last week with the self-indulgence. Remember the self-indulgent robber? He comes to your door, he knocks on the door, he convinces you to just let him right in, you seat him in your favorite chair, you bring him a snack, and next thing you know, he's plundered your goods. The wicked robber actually comes in more like a cat burglar, if you will, where they, they come in without detection, they disarm the securities, and then once, once, the, once they're in and all your security systems and measures are disarmed and taken care of, then they just start throwing hand grenades, creating openings for every other robber to come and plunder the goods that God would have given you through the riches of wisdom. And within the book of Proverbs, there's a strong theme in comparison of wickedness and righteousness. In fact, both words are mentioned close to 90 times within the book of Proverbs. And that doesn't even include the variations of the words like upright or evil. And so as we go into this, we're going to be talking a lot about wickedness and righteousness. And I want us to have just kind of some base definitions that we can operate from. So righteousness is, is acting and living in a way that is ethically, morally, and justly aligned with the Lord who holds ultimate authority. In short, it's living according to his ways, design, and plan. So it's walking in line with God's character and nature and commands. And then wickedness is the intent Thoughts, motives, and actions that are contrary to and in defiance of the holy character of God. So it's being aligned with and in, con and in defiance or contrary to God. That's the righteousness is aligned, the wickedness is anything, action, thought, or motive that is contrary to or in defiance of God and his designs. And so it's, a, it's an intentionally broad definition. And throughout Proverbs, these two foes are seemingly pitted against one another. And in a lot, a lot of the verses we're going to look at today throughout Proverbs, you're going to notice a parallelism that Solomon uses. And it's a, it's a, um, he, he really is, is setting two opposing ideas or, or an antithesis of, of righteousness and opposing. You'll hear the word but a lot, or you know, this contrary, and the righteous are this, but the, but the wicked are this, the wicked are this, but the righteous are this. Setting up this clear picture that there is only one or the other. We don't get to try a both and, where I'll be righteous a few days of the week, but then I'm going to save some fun for the weekend like a normal sane person. That idea is not found in Scripture. And so to give us a picture of this, 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 this opposing views of wickedness and righteousness, we, we have in Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And so we have this picture of this building of righteousness until you have midday sun where everything is fully clear, 
versus walking through a cave and you don't know what you're tripping over all the way through. And so the shockwaves of consequence coming from the wicked and the righteous can be felt near and far. And the first, we're going to be spending a lot of our time this morning in Proverbs 11 and 12. So I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, go there on your phones, whatever, uh, just so you can follow along. But the shockwaves, they're felt through destruction and deliverance. If you, if you see this here in Proverbs 11, and the verses are, are 3 through 8, uh, I'm going to read. I invite you to follow along. The iniquity of the up, or sorry, wrong word, the integrity, there we go. I learned to read just Tuesday, so this should be a lot better than last week. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Righteous, the righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. The, the comparison is strong and obvious. As the wicked, their destruction, they're built on crookedness and they find their end in a destruction. It destroys them. The things they are chasing after end up being their own demise. Whereas the righteous are guided and delivered from death. It's interesting in verse 4, Riches, which is, which is seen as this, um, what the wicked are trying to gain after. I want more of this. I want, it, it goes right into the selfish ambition. I want all that money. There's a greed to it. And the thing that they are chasing after when they are in their, their greatest need completely abandons them. We see the wicked in this passage falling. They're complicating their own path with sin. They try to fix a problem by adding another problem to it. And how often do we do this in our own lives? Where something isn't going right and we, we can feel the angst in our heart that my life is not going according to plan. I am not finding the satisfaction and the joy that God has created me for. And so we feel this problem that boils down in a lot of ways to our own sin and feeling the consequences of our sin. And because we're feeling this, then what do we do? We go out and think, well, that other sin, and I'm speaking in very blunt terms here, that other sin will fix the problem I'm in now. I'm super lonely, so I'm going to give myself to pornography. I'm angry, and so I'm going to drink until I forget what I'm angry about. I don't have enough because I blew all my money doing these other things, so I'm going to cheat on my taxes, or I'm just going to go steal from a family member. Maybe under the guise of, can I borrow some money, even though we have no intention to ever pay it back? And this is what the wicked does, and they complicate their own path. They continue to fall over and over again. 
They are, as verse 6 says, taken captive by their lust. Whether that lust is to be able to sleep with whoever they want to sleep with, or imagine sleeping with whoever they want to sleep with, or that lust is a, is a greedy material lust of I have to chase after these things. That becomes their Lord. It becomes their master for which they toil and strive and seek to serve, never being loved back. But the righteous, they are delivered. Do you see these words of deliverance coming out? The righteousness delivers them. They are found blameless. They are delivered from trouble. And how many times has God done great work in the lives of men and women where for years and years they've been serving that master of lust and greed They've been giving themselves over to it over and over and over again, feeling completely hopeless. And then the Lord in his grace, through faith, gives them righteousness and builds them and helps them find deliverance from these sins that felt like slave masters. How good is our God? And I want to tell you this morning, if you feel completely trapped, you can be delivered through God in this life and experience that freedom. And then there's the deliverance that we obviously think of with this, where it's a deliverance from death. The wicked are seen perishing over and over again and losing over and over again, but the righteous are led in paths of deliverance. That this is and should be seen as talking about salvation. That they are not handed over to the wrath of God, but they are handed over to the love of God, having their sins forgiven. I talked earlier about how uh, these consequences should really be seen more as a shockwave instead of dominoes that go in a straight line. And to help us understand that, and I think to help us understand the destruction and the, the over and over destruction talked about in this passage, a good case study becomes Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. God has told them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They are deceived. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They have a shared experience together. Okay, now let's, before we go too far into this, before they, they eat of that tree, Scripture describes their marriage as Adam and Eve as they are naked and unashamed. There is nothing between them to interrupt their, their, their emotional, their physical, their mental intimacy with one another. They are one and they are unashamed. There's absolutely nothing to hide. And so then they eat the fruit together. Now you think about this, shared experiences usually draw us together. If you go on a camping trip with some friends, you come back from that, hopefully with some good memories and not like weather and bears and things like that. But you come back and even with bad weather and bears, you, you get united by this shared experience and you have something more in common than you did before and you're a little bit closer than you were before. Adam and Eve have a shared experience, and their shared experience is they sin together, not against each other, 
They didn't like throw the fruit at each other with spiteful words. They ate it together. They partook. They shared a meal together. And then the immediate response is they hide from each other and they hide from God. Sin will come in with like a deceptive dart, very pointed. And it'll leave a It'll leave repercussions and ramifications that spread out that are much more than what seemed to come in with. It comes in like an arrow and it leaves like a grenade, sending shrapnel every which way. And the wages of sin being death is a much wider definition, I want us to understand, than just hell. Sin and wickedness are happy to pay their wages early and often. They pay in broken relationships, emotional hardship, death of potential, and so much more. Whereas we see the righteous here, living specifically, righteous living is this picture of wisdom based on the fear of God applied to one's life. It saves them from trouble. It draws others out of trouble as well. As we talk about Psalm 23, that God leads us in these paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It prevents us from from reaping the consequences of sin by causing us to walk in righteousness. It frees us up from worry. I don't know about you guys, when I'm driving and I see a cop, I get nervous. Because for much of my life, the speed limit was a suggestion. And now I find myself, every now and then I'll see a cop, I'll get nervous, I'll look down, I'll be like, oh, I'm actually like under a little bit. Like this is, but I just get nervous. When I walk in righteousness, I don't need to get nervous about my sin. I don't need to get nervous about the destruction, but I can rejoice in the deliverance. So these shockwaves are destruction, deliverance, and they are malicious loss and just gain. Go to 12. I'm going to read verses 5 through 13 for us. Listen for these words that talk about malice and loss. I'm combining those two ideas, that that the wicked have a malicious pursuit that results in loss. That's the idea. And then listen for words of justice and gain. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsel of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man is condemned according to good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised, or sorry, man, I can't read. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play a great man and lack bread. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Did you hear how the wicked were described? They're deceitful. They're lying in wait for blood. They they lose everything they have. They are ensnared, and even their mercy is seen as cruel. Verse 13 says, an evil man is ensnared by the transgressions of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. 
versus the, the righteous here who have just thoughts. They're delivered by speech. They're not ensnared by it. They will stand. They are commended. They have regard even for their beasts. They do not take advantage of anyone or anything regardless of how much voice that thing has or how that thing is viewed. Can you imagine this back in the days where this was written where you're, everything you do, there's no machinery. It's just ox-powered. And to say, my ox has worked hard. I'm going to feed it well. Versus my ox has worked hard, so I'm going to whip it more so it will work harder. God cares about our kindness and our justice, even for created things that aren't people. And so how much more does he care for how we treat other people made in his likeness? The righteous here is not losing everything, but they have plenty and they bear fruit. The picture of the malicious loss is someone who is, who is angry, who is vindictive, who has a score to settle, and they go out who, is, who feels like whatever someone else has, they should have instead, and so they go out with malicious intent, seeking their own gain, even and especially at the cost of others. And this idea of maliciousness, I have a feeling for most, if not all of us, feels pretty distant. That you're sitting here and you're like, oh, maliciousness. And then you just start listing off guys like Kim Jong-un. Like, that guy, that guy's malicious. Pastor Austin and I were discussing this passage this morning. He pointed out, this was written to people following the Lord. This wasn't written to the Kim Jong-uns of the time. It was written to people following the Lord. Paul, when he's teaching the Roman church about how before Christ we were all slaves to sin, and then when we come to Christ we're slaves to righteousness, he talks about this tension that exists within believers. And he says it of himself. The Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote half the New Testament, says it's not the good I want to do, it's the evil that I don't want to do. That's what I keep on doing. Because in all of us exists, in all of us who are believers, exists this tension that I want to serve God and my flesh has a pretty loud voice. And that voice leads me in paths of wickedness. And so... What does wicked intent look like for us as believers? Well, it makes us the judge. That person screwed up. That person deserves it. I'm just going to pull out a couple things. This, this might be a little polarizing, but I, I have a point. What have your thoughts been about Brittany Griner having a multi-year sentence for having drug oil in a, in a vape pen in Russia? Have your thoughts been... Well, I hope they can work something out. It feels like there may be something on the political scale going on here between two countries. Have your thoughts been, that's absolutely what she deserves for what she said about my national anthem? Have your thoughts been, that's a person I, I really pretty strongly disagree with on some issues, but they are a person made in God's likeness, and they need God's mercy in their life. That's what she needs. This week, our former Vice President Mike Pence was at the Iowa State Fair. A gentleman came up, shook his hand, and said, in all due respect, I want you dead.
How justified do you feel in belittling or wishing harm upon those for whom you politically disagree with? That's a wicked thing. To wish any person dead is a wicked thing. That is a human being made in the likeness of God who either, who belongs to one category or another, they either know the Lord through Jesus Christ or they don't and they need to. They belong to one of those two categories. But that's what's true about them. Wicked intent belittles people. It excuses and gives in to sin. It looks for sinful solutions to sinful problems. And it forgets its own testimony in the life of a believer. That I as a believer would come and say, you know what, I was once hostile towards God. I was an enemy of the cross. I was a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. I've been saved by the mercy of God. And that person disagrees with me, so they deserve to rot. That's wicked intent. And it has no place in the heart of the believer. And we should not give into it. And when we do, we rob ourselves of the richness that God would give us. We rob ourselves of bearing fruit. We rob ourselves of being a light to the community, of being a light for the gospel to this dark world. Is it worth it? And so we really need to evaluate who we are listening to as believers. Where's our information come from? Who's telling us how to feel? Who's telling us how to love? Who's telling us how to live? Is it God's word or is it another voice that says God's word doesn't matter anymore and now you need to live this way? And there are Christians who are saying we should no longer love our enemies. It's time to stand up and tell them what they, what they deserve. And that is not the way of Christ. It is not the way of righteousness. And I plead with you, don't let those voices have a hearing in your mind. Don't say to any part of the word of God that that may have worked a long time ago, but it doesn't work now. That is a voice that does not have faith and confidence in the Lord and his righteous ways. We have a, this is a weird time for a book plug, but we, one of the, one of the issues we talked about when we started Proverbs is that we live in a day and age where there's an unbelievable amount of information and a complete lack of wisdom. And so we have several copies, we'll get more if we need, of a book by Brett McCracken called The, the Wisdom Pyramid, uh, back at the table. We've made them available for 10 bucks a piece. If you just want to take one, as long as you promise to read it, and you don't have 10 bucks, that's great. If you're going to take one just to be a paperweight and you don't have money to pay for it, then just leave it there. We'll get you a different paperweight. We have rocks outside. You can, they're really good at holding paper down. Um, we'll get you one of those for free. Uh, but it's this idea of like what, what, how, what kind of information am I bringing in? How do I balance that? And how do I pursue wisdom? So we, we want you to look at that. So many times we say we want God's blessing. A genuine pursuit of God's blessing will lead a person to walk down righteous paths. A genuine pursuit of God's blessings will lead a person to walking down paths of righteousness that result in the fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
It will seek goodness. It will be concerned with the king and the kingdom and his worship and not my own personal idea of what this world should be. And it truly lets God be the judge of all things. It's not my job to declare someone guilty. It's my job to tell someone, the Lord loves you so much he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. These shockwaves are felt through malicious loss and just gain and through wickedness leading us to a cause of mourning and justice producing rejoicing. We're going to look at two verses here real quick and then we're going to, we're going to wrap this up into what does it mean for us to be righteous. Uh, chapter 11, verses 10 and 11. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. When the blessing of the upright, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. When the wicked rise up, there is mourning in the city. There is grief. There is greater injustice. The mouth of the wicked. When you look at the context, I invite you to take time and look around these verses in chapter 11 at the context. You see that words and speech are a, are a major vehicle of the wicked. We easily think of how the wicked can really cause havoc on a city, a region, or a nation, and even the world. And it doesn't take a very long search through history to see that. And mourning is one of the key fruits of wickedness. But as we look at this, we see part of how wickedness takes place in a small scale is through our words. I think of James three telling us how the tongue is just just this tiny thing capable of great evil and who can harness it and how is our speech in what we say to maybe the closest confidant that is actually gossip how is that how is that producing fruit of any good. How can we, as James asks us, how can we praise our God and Father, crying out with, with deep sincerity, it's your breath in my lungs. I just want to thank you, Lord. How can we sing that and curse someone God has created in his own likeness? At the same time, and James tells us it is like salt water and fresh water coming from the same spring, it's impossible. Our words matter a great deal. Look at what the righteous produce. It is a double rejoicing. Verse 10, when it goes, goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. We, both as individual believers and as a corporate body, 
can bring much rejoicing to this city. I think of the passage, they will see your good deeds, they, they being people who are not walking with the Lord. The world will see your good deeds and they will glorify the Father. What a great thing that we could, through just and righteous actions, we could lead our city in worship. That they would glorify God. I was listening to a message on this months ago from Pastor Tim Keller, and he, he said it to this effect, that when a, when a church or, a, or a, we'll say a faith-based organization is living righteously, one of the fruits of that will be people around them will say, I don't agree with what they do in that building. I don't agree with their mission statement, but I can't imagine what our community would look like without them. And I don't want to imagine that. When we act in righteousness, when we care for a young, confused couple who doesn't know what to do with this pregnancy, and we say, abortion is wrong, but we're not going to abandon you. We're going to care for you. We're going to teach you how to parent. We're going to give you job training. There's rejoicing in the city. When we look at racial injustice and we don't, we don't, cast a vision of just pointing blame everywhere and anywhere, but instead we say, you know what, sin is sin, it all needs to be repented of, and there's this greater vision of every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to worship the Lord together, and we want to build towards that in Christian communities. It's going to be a greater vision that's going to cause greater rejoicing than anything this world can know. When we say to a school, we know that your kids are forgotten by a whole lot of people, but we care a whole lot about you, and so we're going to invest in the success of your kids. The Lord is glorified. I hope you see this comparison as stark. That you either have God's wrath or God's pleasure and glory. And one danger, and it's a real danger because sin is shifty, is that we would generally assume that we are righteous. I came to church today. Clearly, I am righteous. That's an assumption we need to be really careful of because that's actually a self-righteousness. And we need a righteousness based on Christ. If my righteousness is based on myself, I'm going to be a real jerk. Because none of you are going to live up to this. At least in my mind. In reality, all of you are probably doing quite a bit better. So let's not forget. All of us have, fallen, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Proverbs 10.29 says, says this, that the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. There's a lot of times I look at verses like that, and I'm like, there's two camps there, and I don't feel very blameless right now. God takes our sin seriously. He cannot tolerate it. Sin has consequences, and we need to move from wicked to righteous. 
We need to do this initially and continually. Because we have this internal rubber band where we'll go to righteous and it just snaps us back if we're not careful. And so how? How do we do that? I want to go to the gospel according to Proverbs, which is found in 16.6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Do you see the gospel there? By steadfast love and faithfulness, Notice that it doesn't say by our own steadfast love and faithfulness. It just, create, it just says it. And this, this Old Testament idea of steadfast love and faithfulness is summed up in this word hesed, which I didn't say right because I didn't spit. But hesed, this Hebrew word of steadfast love and faithfulness, it's tied to ideas like covenant of an unbreakable promise from God that God would look at us with this steadfast love, this love that is unmoving, unmovable, unshakable. It's a love he has for us because he's God and he made us. And it's his faithfulness to his own way that it's this unshakable, steadfast love of God that took Jesus to the cross It wasn't our goodness because we didn't have any. It was based on Him. And through the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, our sin was atoned for. So that's the saving work that God did. And then do you see the response? The fear of the Lord. This fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom turns us from iniquity because we look at the steadfast love and faithfulness of God and we see that he could have justly not gone to the cross at all, but just smashed us. But he doesn't. He loves us so much that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So we And look at him and say, God, you are so just, you are so holy, you are so much bigger than me. And our realization of who God is results in a turning away from evil through repentance. I hope you also see in here not just the gospel and the response, but the complete lack of middle ground. The path of righteousness for me to walk in righteousness, for me to avoid and push away this robber of wickedness that just lives in me. This path of righteousness is one that requires faith, believing in what Christ has done, and it absolutely requires a cross that God would change me. Let's pray. Father, we are so undeserving. And Lord, you have done so much. And God, I, I thank you that you would look on my wickedness, that you would look on my hostility to you, and that you would respond in love by sending Christ to die on the cross out of steadfast love and faithfulness. There is no other God like you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in righteousness, that over and over and over again we would look at your steadfast love and faithfulness and we would turn away from the evil that just exists right inside of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.